All credit in the world to solve that homicide goes to Detective Retired Mike Yolaco. Because Mike was in the 2 3 rip. Yeah. He came from the Bronx, and when he got in the bureau, he went into the 2 3 rip. He was a Bronx cop his whole career. And for some reason, I don't know why, he, that case became his pet. It was on his desk. You know, and every once in a while, he'd call the family on his own just to say what's the word. Because let me tell you, with that case, you want to talk about a cold case. That oh, was yeah. ice. Yeah. That was ice. Because And a 13-year-old girl. That's yeah, yeah. Really, and, uh, and we had, and, and stabbed right in the chest and put right on the, the side of the bridge, the footbridge in the FDR. Right. I can't tell you how many times we went there and stood at the location. Remote. And the only, the only evidence they had on her was one pubic hair. All right, so we're back, man. We are here in uh, Austin, New York, the palatial estates of my, my partner in Every law time you say that, I have to say this premise is protected by Glock, Smith & Wesson, and Tommy Kennedy, and Ralph Friedman. They they patrol here. Just <laughs> you gotta, We get comments uh, with the palatial estates. That's People right. like when I say that, so, <laughs> apparently. So um, we got our engineer, Andrew. The kid Steiner, Andrew Steiner, behind the wheels, of the behind the. He's a fellow seals, tribesman to Scotty Wagner here, right? <laughs> and we got our guest, uh, retired New York City detective Scott Wagner, and uh, he was a housing cop, and he was telling us a little bit about what it was like to be a housing cop. Did uh, did you you know, so you you didn't do many verticals, uh, I would imagine. Well, you, you, <laughs> you said you, you had four months, and then you were out of. Uh, out of no, I, did, I was in uniform for ten months. That was it. And, so uh, you're, you're a housing cop. You come out of the academy. You do ten months in uniform. No, no, no. Get- we did. Th- we did three months straight with an FTO. Okay, that's, a, know, that's a field training field officer. Training yeah. officer. Yeah. and it's funny. My FTO had eight months on me. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> I think he was out of the the the, the uh, last eighty class. You know, but we're off the same list. But. Uh, he, you know, it was one on one. Where are you again? You're in PSA Manhattan. five, which is Manhattan. Spanish Harlem. Okay, Mid, you know, uh, there it's on, is it, a it, rose in Spanish oh, Harlem. Here it is, right there. He's got the tattoo. Look at that. Can we oh. get a shot of that, Andrew? The rose of Spanish Harlem. Yeah, man. Yeah, there's more songs about Spanish Harlem, right? Yeah. Carlos Santana, Santana did that did tune. It, yeah. Van Morrison did a tune That's about Spanish Harlem too. They shot uh, it. So right did you too. You too did there. one too. I was reading something Harlem. where they shot it. You know, they, they shot the video. The video it's there, yeah. And there was a, it was on single. 100 and uh, And they shot for three days. And a lot of people that... Uh, they're, off, they're off in the hood. They're yeah, off in the neighborhood. That was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. Mark Anthony too. Mark Anthony was from... Yeah, he was actually friends with well, one of the two, three up, cops. He grew up in Metro North. In the yeah. Project. Wow. Yeah, I used to see him all the time. But like I said, housing, you were with an FTO. You worked around the clock, you know, uh, days, midnights, 4 to 12. Uh-huh. Days, midnights, 4 to 12. 
The night shot, right? And it, I don't know what it was called. It was just, it's called you, the never know what you, were, you never know where you're coming or going. Shot. You know? And that was your partner. Whether you were on a foot post, radio car, whatever, that was your partner for three months solid. Okay. And he did per periodic evaluations, taught you how to write summonses, you know. Uh, the, you know, he taught you, you know, the radio calls, you know. Uh, now, in those days, we were on the housing frequency. And our radios were like bricks. They were, yeah, you know. The big ones. They, oh, yeah, you did it. You could do a lot of damage. Well, the P PD ones were heavy, too, back uh, then. These were. Yeah. <laughs> Housing was much these heavier. Were, oh, yeah. You, if you were good, you could you could hit a guy at about 30 feet <laughs> and take him down with that radio. But um, There was an NYPD detective that killed the guy throwing a radio at the I back of his head. I don't doubt it. But the guy from narcotics. But these yeah, radios, you, no, yeah. you could you could hit a guy in the small of the back, take him right down. Wow, I remember that. That's a yeah. beautiful You could throw thing, it at a, at a bicycle tire. Was that called, take him right was off that the called bike. physical force or deadly physical force? It was just <laughs> he threw a housing radio. It, that's it, it deadly was, physical force. I consider it humor. But <laughs> anyway, uh, you know what we used to do in the radio cars because, like my sector, for instance, was the Eddie Frank sector. It literally went from 70th and first. Because there is one housing building on the corner of 70th Street, East 70th and 1st. That must have could be considered it's like the Hollywood citizen, housing over there, right? It's a senior citizen building. You'd only get, you would get nothing but a DOA out of there. And the beauty of it was there was no parking in front of it because it was a senior citizen building, right. I guess, for the ambulettes or whatever. So you, you got at least three summonses on the midnights there. You know, so, you because... Know, you had to write your 25 You had to write a, a book a month, right? Just keep your seat. No quotas. And, uh, That's a police term. Keep your seat. You know. Keep your seat. Uh, DOA for our non-police personnel stands for dead on arrival. It's yeah, well, you when you're old. You, means you even if you don't arrive. Yeah, yeah, sometimes you never arrive. If you don't arrive. know what DOA means, please tune out right yeah, now. Right. <laughs> Turn off your podcast right now. Keeping your seat. I'm just man. trying to update people on police lingo. But keeping your seat meant keep your seat in the car. Right. Yeah, as right. opposed to. Because some people found, you know, would think that. Because, you know, when you come out. You, you want to get out. That's right, your first right. thing. Then, you know, then from there, you, you want to get out on the street. Then from the street, you want to, you don't want to walk. You want to get into a radio car. Right. Then when you're in a radio car, you want to get into anti-crime. Right, sure. Then when you're anti-crime, you want to get into the Oh, you want to make a detective. And then when you're in the bureau, you want to get great. Right. You want to get your gold shield, then you want to get great. And, you know, it never stops wanting. It's a vicious cycle. It is. It is. It's brutal. But, uh, well, it's, you know, it's been progressive. You know, you want to keep moving and, and experience yeah. everything that the job has to offer. That's the, it's yeah. a good way. The, 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 the way you put it is, is pretty good because uh, it, it keeps it you hungry. I know. I, I had the same exact feeling. I just didn't put it and in with my us, mind. It wasn't. We had no, I, I, you know, I swear, we had no numbers quotas. Because there were so many numbers to be had that you, if you wanted any kind of a personal life, you had to turn your head on a lot of things. Because there were numbers, no one ever had to be flaked. See what, no one uh, ever, we didn't no. have to do 250s what, to just find something. But Scotty, what you're talking about, what some of our audience don't understand is when you made an arrest back then. Oh, you were that, gone that for, was 24 you were gone hours. for two days. That was 24 hours, hours oh, yeah. at least. At least 24 hours and no sleep. You well, know. I was going to tell you, my first collar. You know, we're with my FTO, uh, much to his chagrin. He, he he didn't want it, but I did it. And I got these two guys for an assault. And it was a felony cow. My first cow was a felony cow. In those days, there was no pre-arraignment. So you had to arraign your own guy. Right. So um, I remember, you know, he had to walk me through the whole system. 
And um, we lodged them and, you know, do all the paperwork. Um, see, l- luckily I came on right after the hard copy arrest sheets. Right. There were like seven carbons thick. Carbons thick. And yeah, the so last carbon carbons is so funny, better right? have been legible or, you know. Right, right. Like the only thing that would work was a big pen. You, you couldn't use any other kind of instrument right, to write. make it through. Exactly. Yeah. But the, uh, the... Press hard to take the... The, the, online, booking, <laughs> the online bookings came out, yeah, yeah. you know, when, when I started, thank God. Because when I was with the hospitals, you know, as a narcotic investigator, they had the old right, right. But that being said... Um, I make the call, we go through central booking, and now we go over to court. And I literally, I see this guy getting out on Baxter Street, the Baxter Street side. He's got a chaise lounge. His wife's there he's with his kids, obviously. <laughs> and he's got a chaise and like a little, uh, it's before the igloos came out, yeah, but it was yeah. a small cooler. And he says, all right, honey, I'll see you in a couple of By, days. But court. Oh, oh she's dropping him yeah, off. Yeah, she's dropping him off at court. And he's got the chaise and the, the little cooler. And she's, she's... They didn't like when you brought that shit down the well, court. Well, you know, <laughs> well I, I get, there was a room with church pews. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and it was and, so uncomfortable to sleep yeah, in those but, things. But God forbid you had to go use the bathroom because someone would jump in your oh, spot. Yeah, I know. Exactly. And there were be huge fights. No, that's what people always say. It's like, like cops, shelter. you could sleep now with your head against the nail because yeah. you slept on like the worst uh, situation. We, we slept in the staircases, oh, on man. the floors. Up, I remember vividly one day, <laughs> we're all sitting around on the floors and some boss comes to, all right, everybody up, everybody up, everybody up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sergeant comes to, everybody yeah. ignores him. All right, 10 minutes later, lieutenant comes through. Everybody up, let's go, everybody up. So guys start going through the motions, you know. Guys would come with blankets, you know, but and they start dusting themselves off, you know, whatever. And no one came. So everybody went back. Went back to sleep, yeah. No, you know, used to get pissed. A, a the people that worked inspector. in the offices in the morning, they'd come in at eight yeah. and it would be like homeless cops yeah. laying all over the place. All over the place. And they'd get pissed. And the know? deputy it's now a deputy inspector comes in <laughs> and he's screaming at the top of his lungs. Now everybody's at attention, okay? You know what it was for? The beginning of Law and Order episodes. Oh, they wanted them shooting. And they no, when Law and Order first started, they wanted to show the realism. So they had uh, I forgot the actor who was originally in Law and Order, but um, he was a very popular actor in the seventies. He did uh, actually he did a cop movie in the seventies too. Law and Order? You talking about Jerry Orbach? No, no, it was before Jerry Orbach. This was was it first before started. Jerry Orbach? Yeah, yeah. And and they were doing the pilot and everything, and they wanted to see what ECAB looked like yeah. and, and the prearrangement and the whole thing, you know. And that's why they had a stand-up. And we're like, are you kidding me? We thought, you know, the PC's coming through. You know, or, I used you know. to love it when I was in BMOC. That's where you go for the basic, basic management orientation course for sergeant. And you'd be in this big auditorium and all these academy little weasels, right? They'd be like, the chief is in the building. The chief is in the building. I was like, I couldn't believe they were like kissing the ass like that. We were like, who gives a fuck? The chief's here. He pulled up in front, you know. Because well, then when he walked in, everyone had to spring to attention. But it was like, this is a fucking like kids. The chief is here, you know. I got to tell you a side note. When, my, when, when I went to my son's shield day. And I got the pin and shield on. Yeah. I got saluted like oh, I, know, I, I was on a high. I'm walking through and they're freaking coming to attention, saluting because I, I had a detective shield on. I taught at CIC, you know, and um, <laughs> the recruit class was in there. And I'm in a suit and shit. And someone says, a sergeant from homicide is coming in, right? And I walked into the recruit class and they sprung at attention like fucking jack oh, in the yeah. box, you Good know? For the head. I laughed so hard. 
I couldn't stop laughing. Uh, I was, that was for me. I, I was, I'm telling you, I must have walked up and down the hall three or four times on purpose. Because yeah. it was such, such Where was this? In the, in the academy Please when my son was, uh, after shield day. I must have walked up and down three or four times because it was just so great. I never uh, had adoration like that in my life. Oh, do they, do they all, spring for attention for you? They don't spring for attention, but what they do is they uh, they salute they you. Salute yes, sir. you and, yeah. Oh, please! I had home. And I just walked. You know, I got most of the time. I got my headphones. Oh yeah, on. and they like, step hey, out of your way you? too, right? Make way. Yeah, yeah. Right? they say make it, way. This was the great. I'm telling you, I loved it. I thought I was on the USS. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> with Porteous, I was on his naval ship. Uh-huh. You know, and uh, make way. Uh-huh. Here comes the admiral. <laughs> All right. So getting back to you know the the days. Uh, my partner and I, we, they put us together. We, we were both rookies. He was out of the, the July 81 class. I'm out of the April 81 class. And only to, he was a couple of years older than me, and he was a Green Beret in Nome. And he's from the South Bronx, uh, Hispanic. Did not look Hispanic at all. Uh, great guy, great cop. I mean, you know... Um, we we just clicked, you know, and uh, we were we had a sector. And like I said, our sector went from 70th and 1st to 124th and 1st over the 3rd and back. Right. That's one sector. And that's we turned it, that's out. That's the 2-3 and the 2-5. Right. Yeah. And we turned out four RMPs and a sergeant, you know, and... It's, it's sometimes a conditions car for backup, right. you know, every night, every day, every tour. Now, again, what we would have to do, because we run the housing frequency is, first order of business was run over to the 2-8 and sign out a portable from the 2-8, because that's the 6th Division. Right. And then run to the 2-3 and sign out a portable from the 2-3. How crazy is all this, Because that's right? the 4th Division. And now, imagine, you got the housing radios. One of you's got the 4th Division radio. One of you's got the 6th Division radio. That could cause plus PTSD. We have, just plus <laughs> we have the AMFM radio bungee corded to the signal stack with the, an, with the antenna to the firewall yeah. so we could listen to BLS, the quiet storm at night. You know? You know what's <laughs> funny? Because I know uh, radios. I, I had no idea that you guys had all those radios. And even with all those radios... Housing. Is no housing, housing available. No housing available. <laughs> Any housing on the Triple O elevator. Central. Now explain Central. what Triple O is because I, I was going to bring that up. Out of order That's elevator. Right. Triple O. That's right. And then the two, three sector would go, where is housing? Let them go to their own But this jobs. was the best. This was the best though. You pull up on a job like simultaneously. Because again, housing had a phone number that the tenants would call. Like in the old days before the 911 system, there was some kind of a, a, a phone number on the back of the RMPs. Uh-huh. I mean, is it on that one? Yeah, yeah dial. Yeah, it's on the back of that. Uh, and housing, there was a number. I th- and uh, if memory serves, I think it was eight seven six five thousand. And um, I, I hope someone doesn't have that number now. But uh, anyway, too late. Um, so you would get jobs that didn't go through the nine one one system. Oh, so, through the uh, yeah. So you yeah. might handle. You might be getting a heavy job. You know. No, and- it was a bad system. It was horrible. It was a horrible system. And we had a belt system where yeah. they put the card in the belt and they would ride through. And if there was a heavy job, the guy would stick his head through the hole and scream out. But you know. th- thank God you guys what, were you backed up. Huh? 
At the window? <laughs> yeah, yeah in, the, in, in our headquarters. No, but you guys are housing on the air. <laughs> you guys no, no, but playing, what I'm saying but is <laughs> you would pull up on a job. Let's say we, we'd go up in, in Wagner House. It's 2400 2nd Avenue, right? In those days, you could drive all through the projects. There were no stanchions or anything. And let's face it, we're lazy as hell. We're not parking outside and walking away. Because also, you know, airborne is coming down. Yeah, you know? sure. Airborne means people are throwing stuff off the rooftop yeah, at you. Know, you. Loaded pampers, yeah. amongst <laughs> other things. Uh, so you had a, like, Walk apart, and you had a serpentine. You know, <laughs> that's a good word, serpentine. Yeah. You want to explain it to Mark, please? <laughs> he doesn't you, know if I you didn't. What was the other I word? Oh, surreptitiously, we said I, I, serpentine. And I serpentine. Say. Oh, you know, sir. All right, you know, serpentine. I don't I have to explain it to you. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, you'd pull up on a job. It's pouring rain. So you pull up on a job. Let's say it's you know, whatever, a domestic. You pull up on a job. Two five would pull up. They'd look at you, you'd look at them, and you'd stand there nose to nose and just wait. And you'd hear, uh, you know, 2-5 Charlie be advised, that was 97 by housing, and get on the air, uh, to, on the housing portable, you know, uh, Central be advised, this is, you know, 580 Frank, that was PSA 5, uh, 580 Frank be advised, that was 97 by the 2-5. <laughs> and that's just, it. Just, and nobody them. got wet. It confused them, right? <laughs> And nobody got away. But, but in those days but, also... Well, the other thing is, in those days, and even to today, yeah, yeah. the precinct of concern is backing up housing and vice versa. No, no. That's one thing you I got to say. In the 2-3 and the 2-8, in the 2-4, well, 2-4 is in the projects. They're right, in right, Douglas right. Houses. You know, I got to say, I was very fortunate. Even when I did, you know, I worked in the Bronx... You know, for two years in the squad. When I first made, got, you know, got into the squad, I worked in PSA Seven squad for two years, and then I went into the the housing homicide major case squad, which covered Manhattan and the Bronx. Uh, primarily, uh, we worked within the four zero and the four two in the Bronx, the four three and the four six. And there's so much project there that the squads we got along. We were all buddies. Right. And plus, we had photos, and we had them arranged by project. So they would always come to us. Transit used to come. But Scotty, you know how antiquated that is now. Oh every, yeah, every cop has his own phone now, I, oh, and pictures of wanted perps son, come up on the phone. What I see, what my son is carrying around, yeah. I, I'm like, what happens if you get wet? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's like you're gonna a good cop. A good cop never gets hungry. Well, wet or, he's a rookie, or so horny. so he's hungry. Care. He's wet. <laughs> you know. No, but it, I mean, think of the how good that is to have that phone. Well, yeah, Where plus they getting, have their own radios. Yeah, your, your Each one has a radio, time, you just got to get a battery. Each yeah. one takes, they have their own radio. People think, though, if you carry around a picture of someone, they think, oh, it's got to be so easy to pick them out off the street. Oh, it's not. But, you know, it it's happened. Not. It happened not too long ago. Yeah. Two transit And then they were two different, they weren't even together. And they spotted the guy simultaneously and right. they grabbed him for a couple of murders. He was wanted. It but, it's not, but it's not easy, though. I'm just no, saying. I used it's to not have, easy. Um, when we used to come out, uh, we used to, uh, you know, when I was in warrants, you'd bring all your folders with you. And he'd be just driving around. Yeah, you and then, see I, that. then I would tell my partner, I'd say, stop, I got a warrant for that guy right there. And then I would just pick up my folders and, and go through all my folders just to right. verify. I'm looking at the kid. I find it. But it's just something that's in your head. It sticks in your head. Right. Cop size. That's yeah, what it is. If you keep staring at the picture, though, if you're driving around the neighborhood and you're looking at the picture and looking around, it doesn't work because well, everybody <laughs> looks like that guy. Right, 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 right. It we has to be team. something that comes right to you. That's the guy. I, I, there's a reason why he looks familiar. We had a thing. Uh, Reading, Pennsylvania sent us a, a, a package in the 2-3. I think you were there at the time. Um, and me and Tommy, 
My former partner, Tom Lombardo, he's a supervisor in Manhattan DA's office in the uh, Sex Crimes Bureau. Um, Tommy and I get this. We were the homicide team in the two or three. We would, we had the, we had our own caseload, but we would also help out whoever had a homicide there, and we were allowed to go down the basement on Sundays and dig through the old folders and find out something that maybe had solvability for right. it or whatever. And we cleared a couple of those oldest 13 years we were able to clear. People were still around. Well, you know, Scotty, going back to, um, I remember when I first got there in 97, there was, of course, that big case which turned out to be a serial killer. Right. And this was the advent, really, maybe even earlier than DNA was being put together. And, of course, it was that famous... It was in its infancy. Yeah, infancy. It was uh, Aaron Key, right. who turned out to be a serial rapist uh, and, a, and, murderer. and a, a, a murderer also. And you had one of those cases, right? Yeah. You want um, to tell us about that? Sure. Um, I came involved in it uh, on September 10th, 97. And I'll remember the date because that's the day that my dad passed away. Sorry And that's back in 85. And uh, I would traditionally, you know, have dinner with my mom on that day, you know. And uh, it, it, you know, working at 8 to 4, and um, I'm 4 o'clock, I'm out the door because I, I want to get home, I want to sit with my mom, you know, because it's the love of our life, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, unbeknownst to me, there's a fire at 218 East 104, which is right diagonally across from the 203. You could see it right. from the windows of the squad. And it was on the roof. And the uh, firemen responded. They got up there. And they thought it was a rubbish fire. So they laid water on it. Uh, once the water cleared, they realized it was a body. Otherwise, had they known it was a body, they, they would have put foam on it. Yeah, right. and, and it would have preserved a lot of evidence. But they had no idea. You know, and um, I come in the next day, and one of the detectives in the two three, uh, who I'm not going to name, was assigned the case, and he wasn't in my team. I was in the D team. He was in the team that followed. If I was working eight to fours, he was coming in four to ones. Right. Yeah. So uh, for those who don't know, detectives, the chart is a four and two chart. You work two four to ones. You turn around. You come back. You work two eight to fours. Uh, then you're off two. Um, so I went to my boss at the time, Billy Kiley, who was a great, great boss. And I, I said, I want this. And he, he looked at me and he said, well, you know, it's his case. I said, I want this case. Now, Tommy had responded because he was hanging out in the office just catching up on some paperwork was mm-hmm. the last one. I would have loved to work with you. Oh, thank you. I would have brought you over to my little, you know, where the cabinet, that little shelf where you the cases go in, your yeah. slot. And I, I would have said, hey, listen, Scott, whenever you, you go in here every day, whatever case <laughs> no, 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 trust <laughs> me. Trust me, you can take it. It's yours. Don't even ask. Just Don't even, no, 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 no. I had my own it. case law, believe me. That's one thing. They never stopped. They never stopped. You so what could, happened? You go know. ahead. So you're, so you're asking the boss for I wanted this. I wanted it. It was just something that hit me. It felt personal. I wanted it. So... The big thing was to get our ID. No one knew how, you know, all we had was charred jewelry. So the detective who had it, I don't want to disparage anybody, but... Uh, Too late now. Well, <laughs> Too late now. A little shaky. You see where a little shaky. And I made two phone calls and I had her ID. From the jewelry? 
Well, not only from the jewelry, I but I. But there I, was a missing I person. I called missing person. Yes, obviously, which yeah. that's come on. Investigation you don't have to be a brain surgeon right, to know right, this. Right. You know, you got an unidentified female charred Hispanic. female. So you the first out of business, you got to get her identified. Right. I mean, and he insisted it was a suicide. So I said to him, "Listen," and I said in front of the boss, "I said this is not." a Vietnamese monk, you know, protesting the war. You know what I mean? This is a, a young Hispanic female on a rooftop of a project. How she old was she? Oh, I don't recall. I believe in her early, tw maybe 23, 23. And she was a civilian. How did you get her idea again? She had pieces of jewelry. Okay. And uh, she had something, again, going back to the, the Hebrew thing, she had what was called a mitzvah coin, which mm -hmm. is... I don't know. If it's it's uh, it, I, the Irish have something similar to that where uh, it's a coin that's cut jagged and it's two pieces and you might wear a piece, your yeah, wife yeah, might wear a piece, okay. and yeah. when they come together, it forms one. So she had that, which is very identifiable, and she had some stud pearl earrings, and of course we had dental records. Right. You know, if we got that far, but all I did was I called missing persons. I said, "You got any, you know, female Hispanics?" We, we assumed she was Hispanic, right, right. you know, uh, missing, you know, between the ages of, you know, 14 and 25, fresh. Yeah. First name he gives me, Joalice Castro. I said, you got the, the number, phone number for the family? Call the family. Yeah, how you doing, Detective Wagner, 2-3 Squad? Um, I understand your daughter's missing, yeah. Um, did she wear any type of... I acted like I was just following up on the missing person because right. I don't want to, you know, tell someone on the phone something like this, especially something as horrible as this. Uh, so I, I questioned her about what type of jewelry did she wear, and right away the mother said, well, she has this special coin that's cut jagged that her best friend has the other half to. Mm. So right then I knew. You knew you had the right I knew who you. it was. So uh, I go to the boss with this. I said, look, I got her ID. I mean, of course, she's not ID officially, 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 but you know, we have to get the dental records. No, that was all, that's what basically I did. But uh, I mean, she was poor crisp, and there was actually a ghost on the wall that was there. The fire was so hot; it was it wasn't on actually out on the roof. When you came up the staircase in this particular thing, you would come into like um, like an airway of sorts. Right, right. Um, that or a breezeway. It had doors roof. on either side. The one that leads to the roof, or no? Yeah, yeah. yeah you'd yeah, come up yeah. to the roof. Right. You'd get out, and you'd be in this little breezeway, and then you'd have to go out of that. It was like a little bunker. You'd have to go out of that right. to be on the the roof. But within this breezeway, there were two doors. One was access to the elevator room on the top, and the other was access to I think there was a water tower right. or something. So that's why they had this breezeway there. But you could see her ghost. Burnt into the Does, wall. Doesn't that usually indicate an, an accelerant? Oh, of course, we knew it was an accelerant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fire marshals. I, I'm, I, I'm not a fireman. I'm just. No, no I'm just saying it. the fire marshal who I worked with it was this guy Pepitone, Joe Pepitone's brother. Can you swim? Yes. And he said no. But he 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 was good. He was very good. It was like having another another detective on the set. He was he was taken back when he had a daughter that age. Yeah. And, um, did the, your boss, did you get the case after that? Yeah, yeah, after right away, right away, right away. And the other guy was like, thank you. 
Uh-huh. Either one or part of it, uh-huh. you know? So It's an interesting thing when a homicide gets caught by a detective that's not, you know, he's not it's doing It's not the catching detective. But we, we had a case that was one of the best double murders ever in the 2-3, and the detective that caught it could have cared less, and he didn't do anything on the case. We solved it for him, but... Well, he didn't want the we, case. So uh, that's why Tommy and I were the homicide yeah. team in the two three. So, so, um, so you, you got your hands on the case now. Uh, yeah. Now what? what and now, now that we get her officially identified, you know, I, I go meet the parents, and you know, we go, and uh, there's a little bit of a language barrier, but you know, I speak enough Spanish, I understand Spanish completely, you know. Uh, and of course, I took a, a Spanish speaking detective with me anyway, and. Um, we got extensive interviews. They gave us access to her whole house. I, I had all her diaries, and I mean, we searched her room, you know, completely. She was a legit, what we call a civilian. She was a Monroe College student. She had a, uh, I believe, a, like an eighteen-month-old baby, um, from uh, her baby daddy and her. They'd been off and on for maybe five years. And he, we even had him in. He admitted to us that, that he laid hands on her. And he said, I, yeah, I've, I've hit her. I've pushed her. But I, it's the mother of my kid. I wouldn't kill her. Especially in that way. You know, oh, yeah, that's got to be. And, you know, that was another argument we had with the ME's office. We had one ME that said she was burnt after she was dead. Okay, so how do you account for the soot in her lungs? Now, I'm no doctor. Right. I'm no ME. But... I had two fortes as a detective. One was I, I must have gone to, I don't even remember how many autopsies. Because being that I lived in Brooklyn, and if there was a homicide the night before or the day before and they were posting the body, I was coming in, I would stop my tour at the ME's right, office. Right. You know, and I'd witness the autopsy for whatever detective was, was why you got to go back down, I'm, I'm here, right. I could do it. And I would ask a lot of questions, you know? It didn't bother me, you know? I I had an immunity to it, and the smell, once you get past the smell, but I would get all gowned up with the face yell, and I'd go in, and I learned about a lot about trajectory, about stomach contents, how you can do a timeline, how long it takes for food to digest, you know? And you develop timelines this way. You know, you see if there's other injuries. Rigor mortis, algal mortis. Everything, lividity and how things, you could tell if someone was moved or not. You know, there's a million things that, little things you could pick up. And the doctors don't mind that you're there. They like that you're there. They like to teach the natural Exactly. And and they're talking anyway into a, you know, a microphone. Microphone, So you're taking notes and, and they like if you ask questions about specific things. Let's just, we want to speed to the chase a okay. little bit. So Johalis Castro was the first of three murder victims, right? No, she, well, as it turns out, she was not. The first murder victim was a young girl by the name of... Uh, Rashida Washington? No, no, Rashida Washington was the third. Third, okay. Elera... Uh, I know who you're talking about. The name about. escapes yeah. me right now, I'm sorry. Uh, Paola. Elera Paola. Paola, she right. was 13. And she was killed in 91. Wow. Along the FDR drive, she was stabbed so that was in like the chest. was like six years earlier. It was. Now, all credit in the world to solve that homicide goes to Detective Retired Mike Yolaco. Because Mike was in the 2-3 rip. Yeah. He came from the Bronx, and when he got in the bureau, he went into the 2-3 rip. He was a Bronx cop his 
Paul Correa. And for some reason, I don't know why, he that case became his pet. It was on his desk, you know? And every once in a while, he'd call the family on his own just to say we're still working. Because let me tell you, with that case, you want to talk about a cold case. That oh, was yeah. ice. Yeah. That was ice. Because... And a 13-year-old girl. That's uh, yeah, really, and, uh, and we had, and, and stabbed right in the chest and put right on the, the side of the bridge, the footbridge in the FDR. Right. I can't tell you how many times we went there and stood at the location. The thinking, three of thinking us, that the just would, meditating. But thinking that the killer would come back, which where, sometimes no, where they would, do. No, where, where, why here? Where, where, you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you try all these crazy things in your head. You know, we were even considering going to a, a psychic at one point, right. you know? No, I mean, but this was just. But I mean, he in kept hindsight, that alive. That was a. That was. This was a sexual criminal. And the only. The only evidence they had on her was one pubic hair that they were able to tell was from a male black. They didn't have anything in '91. Years later, that did could they, tell they identify the that with DNA? DNA? Did they identify that yes. pubic hair years yes. later? Yes. Okay. And it, there's a funny story related to that. Uh, I had to take him to the morgue to have them pluck his pubes. So uh, obviously when he was in, he got word that they were doing it. So he shaved. <laughs> mm. They wanted to take hairs from the nape of his neck and his pubic hair. So uh, he shaved. So I don't know at what rate pubic hair grows oh, yeah. on an individual, but we had to get a court order. I could tell you. Okay. In two or three weeks. For how long? Well, if you want to start, like, a length, uh, about a quarter inch. Oh, okay. Oh, this is fine. How do you Probably know I was going to say, and you know how. do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> is that a personal thing? Is that a manscape uh, tech, you know, tip? I've shaped certain areas of my body for one reason or another. I'm not proud of it. <laughs> but, uh... I heard that bit before. <laughs> We had to... It was wide open. The taint. That leads to the taint, I think, doesn't it? <laughs> so go ahead. So, um... You know, leave the taint out of the story. <laughs> so anyway, we, uh, we... I had... We we go to her phone records. Because we're like, she's from the Bronx. What the hell is she doing in Spanish Hall? Okay? And we're back to um, uh, talking about the second girl. Paola Alera? No, no, the first... About? The, the first second girl, one? my case. Yeah, Paola, Paola is not part of anything at this okay. point. Okay, Joe Howells. And... Our biggest thing is, what is this girl, who's a civilian, doing in this neighborhood on a rooftop? Now, you start theorizing what would bring her to the neighborhood, okay? I mean, as far as anything, like I said, we read her diaries, we, we phone books, everything. I felt, it, it's so weird because you feel like you know someone but because you, she's reading their inner thoughts. Right, sure. But you don't know them in life. You only know them in death. And she was a beautiful girl. A beautiful baby, you know, a kid. And like I said, she was a Monroe College student. She was trying to better herself, single mom. What had happened was, uh, it turns out, she had met a young lady uh, shopping on Fordham Road. And the young lady turned out to be Aaron Key's girlfriend. And... They got into talking, as women do when they're shopping. So they exchanged numbers. And, uh, of course, 
again, to find out how she got to the neighborhood, we found out that her uncle worked for a car service in the Bronx. And whenever she wanted to go somewhere, she'd call her uncle. So the car service, of course, the, the one day she calls him to take her someplace, he's on an airport job. So they get another driver who, you know, she knows to trust to take her. We interview him. He doesn't remember a thing. He doesn't keep records or nothing. We had to go through, I don't know how many stacks, thousands of dispatch sheets to find her, her call that day. Wow. Now, we got her phone records. So we knew when she called, but we kind of we had to find the driver. Where is, did, is this pre-cell phone or? Yeah, well, this is '97. Cell, yeah. cell phones were in the mix, but not like now. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, but again, kids, kids can't understand when they say, "What? There was no yeah, cell phones back then." Yeah, no tin cans <laughs> in a string. Uh, but her phone records indicate she's calling a number. You know, the exchange was in East Harlem. You know, in East Harlem Exchange. So again, you know, we have to go through the phone company to get, you know, subpoena for the, the you know, subscriber information. You know. right. Luckily, I have a, I had a hook. You know, as I had two great hooks that I used to charge guys for. <laughs> I had a hook in the phone company, and I had a hook in welfare. And the welfare hook welfare. was the best. The welfare hook, because that thing went back seven generations. Oh. <laughs> and not only that, see, that's another great thing about housing. You, just to, to regress, housing had to do double work. You had to do a 61 on a complaint. If you went to take a complaint on, you know, whatever, uh, a burglary, let's say, for argument's sake, you had to do a 61. And each precinct had a block of 61 numbers reserved for housing. That. Yeah, I remember that. And housing had their version of a 61, which was called an IR or an ICR, which was an incident complaint report. Mm -hmm. So you basically had to do double work because the IR for housing had to have a 61 number on right, it. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. But those IRs were delivered to the management offices every week. So, and they were put in the folders. So when you were looking at a family of the, of the, of the tenants involved, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's so great. housing has what an investigative resource. Oh my is. God! And if you had a housing assistant that you right. know you took care of, and they took care, let me tell you, you could find information yeah. on social security numbers, you name it, anything. You find because housing departments were handed down, right, right, from grandma to to mom to daughter and so on, and you'd find you know grandma and you know. But fuck North Carolina, and that's where Sonny Boy was hanging out. And right, let right. me tell you, it was, it was a fantastic thing. Oh, that's a great thing. resource. But, and again, this is all before computers. We had the basic, you know, bads and car systems, right. you know, but... The green screen. Yeah, and, and DMV. When I needed anything, uh, uh, you know, done on, like, Lexus Nexus chest or whatever, uh, check rather, I'm sorry, um, tells you where my head's at, um, I used to call a friend of mine the Daily News <laughs> because I had a lot of friends that were reporters, you know, in the Daily News and in various, like John Miller and I were buddies. He yep. used to do ride-arounds with me and anti-crime. He was the biggest cop buff in the, in the Still state. is. <laughs> but he's, oh, again, that's one of the, the hooks that my yeah, son no. doesn't know he has. Right. But <laughs> with that being said, uh, I had a call 
because they had access to the internet. Right. We had no internet access, you know? I remember, like you mentioned Schlager before, he was one of the first guys to bring in a laptop. We were amazed right, right. when we saw this thing. And he was doing flight simulator. He taught himself how to fly on a laptop. And he but actually he, even got, some of the yeah. searches you could do on the internet could help you. Uh, well, and, well, and, there was no the, social media back then. No, but the, the police department didn't have the internet no, back then. No, you had to. Bring you had to laptop. I yeah. remember guys used to bring in their own laptops and plug right. them in. You remember yeah. the telephone wire yeah. and the whole bit. But uh, well, how about trying to get a picture from another police jurisdiction back oh, then? Well, was, I, I tell you one thing. It was like impossible. I tell you one thing. I had Pony better Express. cooperation. <laughs> I had better cooperation. In hom- working homicides with outside agencies than I did if you were to call up, if you were in the 2 3 and you called the 19th, do me a favor, can you pull them? You got a case with such and such? Right. I'd get better cooperation if I called Pittsburgh Homicide. <laughs> They'd get back to me yeah. in a half hour. The 19th would never call. I'm just talking about even the technology. We used to have to use oh, our yeah. own emails to get a oh, picture sent well, to us from another police jurisdiction, which isn't a good thing. Who is this Seaball Express email? Yeah. Yo, that's my personal email, you know. Well, like, again, this is, again, we got the phone records and we got the subscriber information. Right. If we had to wait, it would have been weeks, you know, if you had to wait for the subpoenas to go through. And then you had to go down there to 6th Avenue and it was, it was a whole uh, rigmarole. So we got the phone records and we get the subscriber information and it's Cynthia Key. Cynthia, there's a number of calls back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. All right, so now we have someone in the neighborhood she's calling. And he lives in what's the, it's a, this is a development. It's called 1199 Plaza. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's a private development. And it's, you know, on, uh, along First Avenue from like 111th to, I guess, to about 108th it goes. And um, it's 1199 because it's the union, 1199 union funded it. And it's mostly for their workers. Right. There's very nice buildings, actually. Very, you know, doorman, security. <clears throat> so um, I call up, and I get the mother on the phone, and I talk to her, and I tell her who I am. And I said, um, uh, do you have any sons or daughters or whatever? She says, yeah, I have a son. How old is he? Says, and this is all over the phone. And uh, she says, uh, he's about 20, he's 23. I said, really? What's his name? She gives me the name. You know, she's Aaron Malik Key. Okay. I said, uh, could you leave a message, please, and have him call me? She doesn't even ask me what it's in reference to. So three hours later, I get a phone call. It's him. I said, uh, listen, could you, you think you can come by the precinct? Because I don't want to come by the house. And, you know, you don't want to be seen talking to cops or whatever. I, I got to ask you a couple of questions about a friend of yours. He goes, sure, what time do you want me to come over? I mean, articulate, charismatic, well-spoken. He shows up right on time. But he brings his girlfriend and their baby, an infant. And I had the interview room staged with, you know, we had tips posters made very quickly. Everything was done very quickly. We had the tips posters in there, uh, you know, a couple of Polaroids sticking out intentionally, you know, from an envelope. Just, just to see his reaction when he went in the room. None. None. Hmm. Sits down, again, answers every question I ask him. No attitude, no screw the police, I don't got to be here. Nothing of that kind. No vibe. No bad vibe off him. Does he have a record? Yeah. Uh... A robbery. He had one robbery. 
arrest, the, a couple of juvie stuff that was sealed. And I recall he had a robbery cowl that he pled out to, and he did like seven, eight months. It wasn't a weapon involved. He, did strong. A, he went upstate? Uh, no, it was time served at Rikers, I think, uh, I believe. But he had one, one collar. So I'm saying, right, we got a perp. He's, he's purpish, and, you know, he's, you know, he's in the neighborhood. And he admits, he goes, yeah, I met her on Fordham Road with my girlfriend. The girls started talking. And uh, they called to get together. They became friendly. They called to get together. And, uh, you know, she was coming here to go shopping. Because along 3rd Avenue in, in East Harlem is a big shopping area, you know, from like... Uh, 100th Street to about 108th Street, a lot of stores, a lot of, you know. And um, but There's one gourmet restaurant called McDonald's, too, right over there, right? It's still there. You'd be surprised what's there now. It's scary. I know. So much gentrification in that neighborhood. I hate it. <laughs> but because uh, I'm up there all the time. And, you know, like I said, my mother-in-law still lives up there. And, uh, you know, I, I still see people that don't. That you know, yeah. Yeah, they come up. Hey, how you doing? But, um, and I have no idea who they are. But, uh, again, he's freely admitting, you know, that she came that day and he says, yeah, I saw her. And at this point in time, she said she was leaving and we said goodbye and she left. Okay. How, do you, how did she get to that roof and why? He goes, I don't know. If I would have known, I'd tell you. He goes, you know, I, I really feel terrible about this, you know, when I found out about it. How did you find out about it? Well, it's the talk of the neighborhood. You know, everybody's talking about it. Right. So uh, I said, when did you learn that it was your friend? He said, well, when you called my house. He says, uh, you know, I put two and two together. And I figured that's why they're having me come in. It's, it's because of this. Like I said, mind you, the girlfriend's sitting outside with the infant. So now I take his statement. He gives a full statement that he talked to her, that he was with her that day, the whole bit, freely. Freely, never asks for an attorney, never asks for a thing. Right. Free, well, again, articulate, good-looking kid, dressed, not, not dressed street, dressed casually, but not street. Right. Uh, very, very uh, well-spoken um, for someone his age. Uh, I mean, he was into computers and things. You know, he was a wannabe DJ and all of that. And... Uh, so he had, he was articulate and charismatic. So now I ask him if he'll sit outside and let me talk to the girlfriend. So she hands off the baby and the girlfriend comes in with me. Now she starts losing it when she sees the Polaroids and stuff. She starts losing it. And she's, I mean, visibly she's shook up, she's shaking. I mean, and, and I got nervous. I thought she was really gonna go out on me, you know, like, you know, so. Got a water, calmed her down. We apologized that she had to see that, you know, this and that. Uh, and the reason why she got so sick was because she had sickle cell. That's just a side note to this, because it applies later. Um, I take a statement from her. It concurs completely with his. I mean, like any couple, you know, if you and your wife went out, you know, with a friend, you would have the same version, right. pretty much. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we got him. You know, he's the phone records. That's the thing that gets it to the neighborhood. Now what happens? We don't know. And that's, we would canvas, 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 canvas. They were tired of seeing us over there. Every time we went out 
on, on a case. If we were near there, we'd go over there. I mean, it, it was they were tired of seeing us. And um, so this, this is this is 1997. Yeah. Now, what year is the murder of Rashida Washington? Uh, we'll see. Joe Howells was September 97. I believe Rashida had to be the spring. Of 98. 98. And in between that... We had a number of rapes. rapes. Now, this, rapes, right? this is another thing. I had a habit of taking Polaroids of everybody. This was taught to me by an old-timer. Everybody I ever interviewed on a case, take a Polaroid of them. Because if someone has to come behind you to look at, you know, find somebody, you got a picture of them. Right. Okay. And I had Polaroids of Key. And Key, in the Polaroid, was wearing a sweatshirt that said FUBU, the, the make FUBU, across the front. Um, again, we had uh, rapes going on that we didn't know were tied in because they were going from the, they were not only in the 2-3, but they were in the 2-5. So this is 98, well. 99, 2000? Is it? This is going, yeah, it, it's continued. We had a bunch of rapes, you know, here and there. And the uh, description was always, a, you know, male black. The, the victims always were female Hispanics or light-skinned black females, same age, same type of build. They fit a pattern. We started recognizing a pattern. Actually, at the time, Resnick was the one who, decided to put a task force together. Now, when Rashida's found, I'm called in that morning. I'm supposed to do a four to one. Just, just, I want you to talk about a little bit, because this is important, mm -hmm. how Rashida was found. Okay. Because it's, it's indicative, at least what I know, I study homicide a lot besides I taught college for years. Right. And she was displayed in a very sexually well, provocative position. Well, which is usually the crime scene was staged, right? Which usually but, indicates but, the sex offender. But that being said, she was in public view, and she was covered by a sweater, which indicates remorse, usually, mm -hmm. for what was done. And again, they called me in on it. I come in. She's found in the staircase at like six in the morning by someone. The elevator was triple O, like he said. Triple before. O. <laughs> and uh, someone was walking down the steps, and they found her on like the sixth floor landing. There was also something also that was unusual. She had square marks. Right. On her she back. had like a cross hatching on her back. Right. Now, mind you, she was not found face down. She was found face up. Right. But the cross hatching from lividity was so pronounced. Vivid. Yeah. yeah. It, it, you, it looked like a you know an actual graph paper right. type of thing. And we're trying to figure out what could make this. Now, we knew from the onset it was a strangulation uh, killing. The ME that came to the scene, yeah, she had particular hemorrhaging. You know, you could see it was a strangulation. Particular hemorrhaging is um, the, the white of the eyes, the conjunctiva, it, it ruptures. And becomes it leaves, pink. Yeah, it becomes pink. So it, that's what uh, particular hemorrhaging is. And also called. you could start to see, uh, like, handprints forming. As the as the lividity bruising on bruising her around neck. her neck, yes. yeah. So we're trying to figure out what is this cross hatching now. In a lot of the old in, in the housing apartments, there were like these dryers for clothes that you pulled up 
over the tub and you'd let them down. They were made of wood and you'd hang the clothes on them and you'd pull it up again, you know, to air dry them. Yeah. So we, we were, we had to find an apartment that had one and then we had to try to see if it would measure up. Sure. Didn't. So we're like, where the hell did this come from? Because she had to be pushed down with quite force onto this. So, Again, we're trying to figure out whatever. What, but this, what, this what, was this was a probably a post mortem pattern, right? Because the lividity had set in. You said it was so well. Pronounced. It became more prominent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> like yeah, she was, wasn't alive when that. No, it pat- was alive. She was alive when that pattern was put on her. You sure? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, that that's that's what we believe. Okay. Well, again, we're we're. We're trying to figure out what could cause it, what could cause it, what could cause it. And I forgot who. I wish I could give them the credit that they deserve. But someone came out and said, you know, it looks like the pattern on a shopping cart. Sure as shit, someone runs to the, you know, the store. Supermarket. Buys a shopping cart. We bring it up. And the back of the shopping cart. It's perfect. They're almost perfect. All right. So now we know what that came from. All right. So again... Um, the only suspect we have and we have a composite now because this is what he was doing the girls that he didn't know he wasn't killing he was just raping them the girls he knew it turned out he was murdering of course we didn't know it at the time right but we had really good composite sketch and it won rape He'd also say things to the victims uh, about how good-looking he was. You're honored, you should be honored that a guy like me is, is, is doing this to you as opposed to some ugly junkie or whatever, you know. <laughs> Soup himself up. <clears throat> and um, he, again, he's our only viable suspect. The composite comes out, and at one scene, at one rape scene, is found what? A fubu hooded sweatshirt right. and a baseball cap is left at the scene the composite sketch <coughs> I see the composite which was done between three or four rape victims and the department artist and I take the Polaroid and I'm like oh my god it, it was like the sketch was done from the Polaroid Wow. and I got him wearing a football so I call Resnick right away and I said chief what year was this? This was right after after Rashida. So ninety eight. This is yeah. This has got to be ninety eight going into the summer. So I, I call you know. Meanwhile, there's a partial laundry tag in the yeah. I remember the sweatshirt. Story. They're yeah. running around trying to find the laundromat. Actually, the one that who, was a funny story too uh, because uh, Mike Yulako, who I love, Mike Yulako, Resnick says, "Look, we got this tag from a." a a dry cleaner. Yeah. And Mikey Lacko was like, get the fuck out of here. You're never going to fucking find that. Fu-. And sure enough. Well, you know who found it, right? Uh, Tommy McKay. Tommy McKay, yeah. Ruffy. They Ruffy find the, the um, dry cleaners. That's, that, that's old school detective yeah, work. That, that little tag was. And it wasn't a complete tag. It was a partial of the tag. And now you tell the rest of the story. And old time police work. Just go to every dry cleaner you can find in Spanish all. And sure enough. Tommy McCabe, all-time, 40-year guy, salt of the earth, worked with him, had the, the, the blessing of working with yeah. him, you know, in the homicide squad. Uh, taught me a lot. Just 
his nature alone. He had principles beyond, far beyond those immortal men. Unbelievable, yeah. And uh, he found he found a laundromat, and guess who's the the client? Cynthia Key, the mother of Aaron the mother Key. of Aaron Key, who I talked to at the very beginning yeah. of the case. So I got him a pic. I got him in a picture wearing that. Right. So now the hunt goes on. Okay. So. We know where he lives. I have a CI in that building, a very good CI. It turns out, in digging deeper into his background, and this was Mike Yulaco doing it, because Mike Yulaco was assigned to do certain computer Everyone had an assignment. Right. And being that he didn't catch anyone in the cases, he sees, he finds, I don't, I don't know how he even came across it, but that he used the name Warford, his last name, Aaron Warford. And that goes off in his mind, because in the Paola case that's been sitting on his desk for five, six years, there's an interview with an Aaron Warford, wow. who's one of the last eyewitnesses to see that girl alive. You know, can I stop you for one second? Sure. I just remember something, and you correct me if I'm wrong. Aaron Key was under arrest at one point. He was yeah. in the cell in the 2-3. He was in the and cell when Rashida started, was killed. They started talking about the case. No. When Rashida, when we found Rashida that morning, and now we come back to the squad. Right, I just want to mention He was in this. the cell because another detective in the squad caught, uh, I don't know, some kind of petty larceny or grand larceny right. of computer parts. Like I told you, he was... Right. Uh, he fashioned himself a computer expert. But I just want to mention this. he had this. stolen... Someone made a 61 that he had stolen. He had supposedly supposed to fix a computer, never returned it. Right. It was one of those kind of things. So she's it an easy collar. She went and got him, and he's in the cell. Right, but the point is, Mind you, they were she's talking killed about six in the morning. Got, two detectives were talking about the case. Yeah, so right in front he of him. is the killer sitting and he's in, in the, the cell. cell. That's, I'm just giving a lesson where you never talk about anything in front of a perp. You never know, no, but you never know. Right, this is the perp. Because now the I come walk Now he's hearing all the information they have or what they don't have. Now, mind you, and they're talking at the about time, it. at the time, he wasn't a suspect. At right. the, you, know, when we, you know, we came back to the squad. I mean, my God, this, we were out on the field since she was found around six. By the time I got there, I, I like rolled out of bed and shot there. And by the time I got there, it was maybe 7.15. We were out at the scene processing and canvassing. and doing that. We, we didn't get back till like 1.30 in the afternoon, you know? So, you know, a whole ton of us come back in and everybody's shooting the shit about, you know, the case and what's and going a on. you're serial murderer in your cell. And meanwhile, <laughs> you know, lo and behold, look, look who's there, you know? But you don't and know he this, says of to course, me, And he, says, he calls out to me, hey, Wagner, how you doing? And mind you, she collared him. Somewhere around the left, I, 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 I don't exact, the memory is it's hard to remember what time she called him. I think it was, it was in the morning, about 11, 11.30. And uh, he was a keeper because, you know, it was a grand lawsuit. Right. So he was, he was going through the system. So, you know, he's in the cell and he calls out to me. And I said, what are you doing here? What happened? And he tells me, you know, she locked me up for this. And I said, oh, sorry to hear that, you know, this and that. And I said, have you heard anything else about your friend? He goes, I tell you, if I did, you know, I'd call you. And he goes in his wallet. And sure enough, he's got my card in his wallet. And, you know, so he's there. But again, he was nowhere near a suspect at right. this point. But when, again, later on, as things developed, and we got the clothes recovered, and there was hair. In the in the hat, and there was fibers on the sweatshirt. Okay, 
I remember uh, they had that sweatshirt on a mannequin you know, yeah. in Resnick's office for a long time. And, uh, but you can also just see how today took, DNA saves lives. Oh, yeah, well, it took... Because he would have been identified years earlier had sure. it, you know, DNA technology... On that one pubic hair, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what happens is now it took three months, approximately three months, to get that... to get him named as, you know, the one who owned the sweatshirt. Right. It took that long. Because that's how... The tag wasn't even noticed. It was, like, so right, rolled up right. and, you know... It was a miracle. It was like almost like her sending a message. Yeah. Look here, look here, look here. And uh, McCabe found out, and boom, as soon as he found out, we hit the street like an army. And we, you know, we went out and, and you know, we went to hunt him down. He, uh, I and Rob Mooney hit his apartment. Uh, we actually uh, had Taru set up a... a Camera outside his apartment, phony smoke detector. He was hip to it. He ripped it down. Um, it, it, it was. Remember, he's only a suspect at this but point. But he's not ID'd in anything. He's yeah. not ID'd yeah. in anything. He's just a suspect. So we're watching him 24 7, and they're trying to collect DNA. If he flicks a cigarette butt, if he spits, you know, we're trying to do something. And, uh, you know, finally, other detectives, they bring him in, they, you know, and they. they well, that, I'm getting ahead of myself. Surreptitiously, he, he he ends up disappearing. He he's supposed to meet me and Rob Mooney on 110th Street. He calls us, and we're in communication with him. But again, this is pre when you could track a cell phone and all right, that. Right. We're in communication with him, and he says, "I'll meet you on 110th. I trust you guys. You're not going to shoot me, nothing like that, and this and that." And Rob is telling him, "Listen, don't have your hands in your pockets. You know, just we're going to do this." by the book and of course he doesn't show and he ends up fleeing with another girl who's like 16 17 years old from brownsville i don't know how he hooked up with her and we last see him we last track him to the port authority on a bus to florida so they're trying to you know catch up to the bus sure and they can't now at this point while this is happening tommy and i are in reading pennsylvania on an unrelated case, we grabbed a guy in Manhattan that Redding was looking for, who we happen to know. Uh, you had brought up before about when you're looking for a guy, everybody looks like him. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we went out on it. We handed out a few cards. One night, our beepers go off. <laughs> beepers. Yeah, beepers. At the same time, mm-hmm. we call back. Yeah, he's on a 10-speed wearing a white wife beater. So we go out. Everybody on a 10-speed is wearing a white wife beater, you know? But then he spies us, he sees us, and it, it's it's like... Dun, 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 and it's like you know, in the part in The Wizard of Oz where she's yeah. on the bike. Yeah. That's what it was like. And I'm hanging out the car door, trying to knock him off the bike. I mean, <laughs> cars are coming from three precincts. Uh, stuff's flying off the buildings. It's like a Friday night in August, you know? Anyway, we call it a guy... We bring him in. There was a shot fired. I don't know where. A cop ended up getting three quarters for a heart attack that night. <laughs> but we brought him in but out of scratch. We didn't even have him cuffed. He was sitting in the interview room. Didn't even have him cuffed. He knew us. He was, he was, I was cool. And, you know, they had a, a warrant for him. So they couldn't talk to him, but we could. Right. Because we were talking to the joint in the neighborhood. But he confessed to two murders in Pennsylvania to us. So much to the chagrin of 
Lieutenant Kiley. You had to go to Reading. We had and four trips. So we had a lot of money on that, I bet. <laughs> yes, we, yes, we did. <laughs> and he's doing two life, consecutive life terms. But, uh, again... Pennsylvania what? has some bad experiences with detectives from the two three. Detective Pat went there and got a confession. Remember? <laughs> no, but we know we got what the confession happened? here. Wait a minute. What happened with Aaron Keys now? Okay, so what I'm telling you is happened. Tommy and I are coming back from Reading, and we're driving back, and we get right by Newark Airport. We turn ten ten winds on. Siege in Florida. Serial killer from New York is holed up in a hotel in Miami. We know what it is. I called the two, three right away. I said, Tommy and I are right by Newark. Let us get on a plane right now and go down there. We'll be there in three hours. No. What do you mean, no? He'll talk to me. No. Again, I knew he would talk to me. Okay? I had a rapport with him. No one else did. I was the only one who interviewed him. And he's caught that to rights at this point. You know, he's a wanted fugitive. He's caught that but to his, rights. But his DNA is positive. We got to hit. We prior. got hit yes. at yes. this point. He's, he's, you know. He's ID'd by his DNA. Yeah. That's why yeah, we were trying he's to. he's in Florida right now and he's locked in that hotel room. Right. He's hiding out because of a warrant that was put out. In no warrant. New York? We had no warrant. We had no warrant. What, what, but there's two Florida... detectives from New York going after him. That's why yeah. he's holed up. And, and Bob Mooney and Daryl Hayes okay. are from Hayes. the Homicide Squad. And, again, I should have been going down there. And I, I, I said, I got to go down there. He'll talk to me. They refused. And to this day, I'm pissed off. But that's... That's politics. What are you going to do? Mooney and Daryl, they spot him. What happens, happens. They, you know, the SWAT team in Miami gets him. He's, you know, thank God the girl was not hurt. She would have been the fourth victim. And uh, he makes spontaneous utterances or whatever at the time. Daryl lets him talk to, you know, the girlfriend, say goodbye, and he basically makes some admissions. But never a statement, never a full statement. So, um, you know, he's brought back to New York. And, you know, he waves extradition. He's brought back. And um, at this point in time, the girlfriend, who I had, goes to Virginia to live with her mother, with the baby. Um, I want to go re-interview the girlfriend. Because I know for a fact, again, we had this big argument with the ME's office. Was she alive or dead when she was set on fire? Right. Well, we had the ME make the determination. She was alive. She was burnt alive. So he had, to, there were no screams heard. There was nothing. So he had to do something to quiet her. Whether he was aided by someone else, which I always felt he was. A little side note to that. We talked about getting messages before and getting them right. I was on my swing. I get a, we, because it became a cold case. So a year to the day, we redid the, you know, a friend of mine at Daily News ran the whole thing again. Uh-huh. Put the squad's number and tips. Phone call on my swing comes to the squad for me. Someone from the RIP picks it up and says, uh, Wagner's not here. He says, well, listen, uh, I got information about that girl 
that was burnt on the roof. There was a guy and a girl that did it. He goes, all right, Wagner will be in Monday at 4. Call him back. Hmm. Wow. And this detective was not a dumb detective. He was a sharp detective, but he must have been preoccupied. So... But yeah, what we ended up having to, I mean, we got loads and tolls from the precinct because we didn't know if it came directly to the squad, if it came through the TS right. and it was transferred up. We don't know. You know what I mean? But never got another call again. But we, this call stated there was a girl, a guy and a girl involved. Right. So I want to go talk to the girlfriend again. She's in Virginia. They won't let me go. I don't know why. Okay. I go to Resnick boss. I spoke to her before. Let me go. Send anyone you want with me, but let me go talk to her. No. So he sends other detectives. Oh. They come back without any confession, but she says to them, and it's on a five, I would have told Wagner what happened that day. He had me in, you know, in the interview room. But Ace, who that was his nickname, Ace had the baby. And I was afraid he would hurt my baby. Well, he goes, I would have told. So I'm saying to myself, if I could have gotten her to tell me, Rashida never would have died. Well, and four girls never would have gotten raped. It's heavy to carry with you. But that's you know, police work isn't not an exact science. Yeah, we all not, know. You know what's great about today is that you took us step by step through this case and how it built it up. And, and, and there's and, so many there's so many moving pieces to it. Oh things it, like this is so The best the best was again when we took him back to the ME's office. You know, when it, you know, he got the court order. Because you know, he became Muslim, so he'd eat kosher and he didn't have to go to court on Friday, you know, the whole bit. So um they got him cuffed. Whoever brought him from Rikers let him come in front cuffed. Mm-hmm. Carrying a Koran. So they pluck him, and we got to take him back to lodge him. Now, it was me and Rob taking him back. Right. I forgot who went and picked him up. So I said, put your hands behind your back. And he goes, no, I don't do that. <laughs> Excuse me? I said, put your hands behind your back. He goes, I don't do that. I said, listen, pal, Bellevue was right across the street. And I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. Either you put your hand, the hands behind your back or you'll be in Bellevue with two broken arms. I mean, who do you think right. you are telling me? Which, you know, well, how am I supposed to carry my Koran? What Koran? You hear thump. <laughs> you know, the, the Koran, I don't know where it went. Yeah. All I know is he was rear cuffed. And as I clicked the cuffs together, I whispered in his ear, this is for Joe Hollis. And I clicked it. And he turned his head so fast and looked at me in the eye. Yeah. And he was going to say something. And then he sucked it back in. Right. And I remember in the car telling him, one day I'm going to come upstate to visit you. And you're going to tell me the real story about what happened. P.S. Uh, he gets 600 years. The trial was a whole sham yeah. because even the he 18B. represented himself. Yeah, right? the 18B lawyers, you know, because it was technically a death penalty case. So they had the, the you know, the, not the regular legal aid, the, right. the, 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 the real lawyers. And uh, 
you know, they let him pull his T-shirt out with all kinds of stupid theories and notes. It was a, it was a, it was a lunacy. But, of course, they had to entertain it, you know. But uh, at sentencing, he got, you know, they allowed all the parents to speak. And by the way, the, that one pubic hair got hit to him, mitochondrial DNA. From 1991. And from 91. And that's why we could charge him with all three homicides. Wow. Because of his DNA was on all three victims. Wow, that's and, amazing. Uh, I think seven rape victims, two were Jehovah's Witnesses, but we got them to pick him out of a photo array. So we were able to close those with the permission of the wow. DA. And there's still two homicides that I'm 100% sure he did. One's in the South Bronx in a 4-0. His mother had moved to the South Bronx. She was same height, weight, and build. She's from East Harlem. She was visiting someone in South Bronx. She was suffocated, you know, choked, wrapped in duct tape. We recovered duct tape on the search warrant, of course, you know, upon his arrest, we searched his premises right. and we got, you know, recovered the duct tape. I remember Rob Mooney hand-delivered the duct tape. He had to go by an Amtrak to D.C., to the FBI. There's a duct tape guy, you wow. know. You know, he's got the pocket protector yeah. and pennies. He does duct tape. He said, I can't testify to this in court, but it's the same duct tape. Wow. He well, says, listen, we don't Scott, have the technology. This and there's one, was... Just one thing. And there's one in Virginia, but they don't care because it's Virginia and she's a woman of color. And so there's, and there's two more. He already got 600 years. Yeah, yeah what's throwing another couple on? Right. Except closure for the families. Right, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Which is very yeah. important. Yeah. Ultimately Most important. important. Yep. Well, Scott, I want to thank you for coming by, man. The story was fascinating. I'm happy that we had a chance to uh, to chat on the first half and yuck it up a little bit because this this whole second half, I mean, even though it's an amazing case, it kind of put me in a bad way. It's really depressing. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm it's... just saying it's like great, great detective work, but it's just unfortunate. But I want to also say your job. It wasn't just me. No, know? I know it, the whole t- everybody, it, it, it everybody, everybody, task force, Resnick, it was a team, everybody involved in it. Yeah. You know, That's just to, just to mention, this names. is featured on a uh, TV show called Two. The Shopping Cart Killer. Two TV show. Uh, on, uh, what was that? That was uh, Bill done Curtis. by Curtis Productions. Yeah. And uh, that's called The Shopping Cart Killer. Then there's another one that Linda Fairstein, who was the former head of sex crime, right. uh, had a TV show called Murder by the Book. Okay. So it's also featured in one of her episodes in Murder by the Book. So if you oh. Google it, you could find the... Uh, any part in words, Phil? Look, every week we have a fascinating guest, and uh, he didn't disappoint. You know, no, this, was, this, was, you this was fun and informative. And, uh, and for our audience, man. too, you see Riveting. how emotionally charged this gets for the detectives and the de- yep. that are involved, that they put their whole life and so, heart it, and soul I in felt, it. You know? I felt it. You yeah. rubbing off on me. So, you know, you, I applaud the NYPD's finest, you know. Scott, thanks for coming in, man. You're welcome. Really Thank you very much. We'd love to have well, you back. Love to see you. Uh, like I tell all our guests, September 21st, we're going to probably do something over at uh, Pleasantville. And, Lucy's, uh, yeah, Lucy's. Yeah, Lucy's. Lucy's in Pleasantville. And what it's going to be is uh, we're going to tell some jokes, but before that, we're going to have a live podcast. We're inviting all our past guests on. Everybody's going to get a chance in the hot seat. We're going to catch up with everybody. And that'll be the end of our first season, and then we'll start another season. But, Sounds um, great. Thanks for coming by. And on behalf of um, Police Off the Cuff, man, this was a great episode. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Over and out. Oof. <laughs>